Hello again. Welcome to Tell Me. On this episode of Tell Me, I am talking with Julie Cordua. Julie is the CEO of Thorn, a nonprofit tech organization, and their goal is to eliminate child sexual abuse material from the open web. I first heard about Julie on Kara Swisher's podcast, Sway, and I had no idea how bad this problem actually was. And I am so grateful to Julie and Thorne for creating this organization to attack this problem that plagues the children in this country and all over the world, quite honestly. And there's a website also, thorn.org. T-H-O-R-N, that I encourage everybody, if you have any young people in your life at all, to not only listen to this conversation, but go to the Thorn website and check out what Thorn does and how to protect the children in our lives from online sexual predators. It's a really eye-opening conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. So, Julie, thank you for being here. Yeah. I first heard you on one of my favorite podcasts, Sway, Kara Swisher, who was also a guest on this podcast. I was lucky enough to have her. She's awesome. She is. She's great. And I was completely taken aback and unaware, shamefully so, having three kids, at the amount of sexually explicit content children-wise And I found the conversation shocking, but so glad that I had heard it. So I said, we have to have her on and talk about this. So I'm just going to let you jump in because you're an expert in this field and creating this technology. The company's called Thorn. Tell us what you do. Tell us what Thorn is. Yeah. So Thorn is an organization that builds technology to end online child sexual abuse. And we actually started about 10, 11 years ago. This was founded by Ashton Kutcher and Demi Moore. And I joined them really in the beginning. We were looking at the role that technology was playing in child sex trafficking. And as we dug into that, we realized that technology playing a role in much broader forms of child sexual exploitation than trafficking. Definitely a part of trafficking. Children are bought and sold online every day for sex. But there's also tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of images and videos of child sexual abuse circulating around the internet. And more recently, what we've seen over the last kind of three to five years is this growing trend of grooming, sextortion, self-generated child sexual abuse material. And we realized when we formed this organization and started understanding the field that There was no one who was building technology to respond to this issue specifically. So we are putting a lot of pressure on the tech companies to say, hey, you've got to rid the internet of child sexual abuse or law enforcement. You've got to find all of these perpetrators. But for a tech company, their job is not to rid the internet of child sexual abuse. Their job is to build whatever platform they're building. And for law enforcement, they aren't technologists. They are investigators and law enforcement officials, and they do an amazing job. But we had all these perpetrators who were utilizing the latest technology to abuse kids. And we thought, well, where's the Army people who are utilizing the latest technology to protect kids? And so we decided to build that army of innovators and engineers and folks who can build 
and scale solutions that help protect kids in this new era where, you know, child sexual abuse that often was just hands-on behind closed doors is now just spreading across the internet. So that's what we do. We build technology for law enforcement to help them find kids faster. We build technology for the private sector to make sure that every company with an upload button is proactively stopping child sexual abuse on their platforms. And more recently, we've emerged into building programs programming and soon products for parents and caregivers to help them lead safer online lives. Well, thank you for that work. That's amazing. Your conversation with Kara Swisher was really sort of centered around the privacy issues, the privacy laws or lack of privacy laws or implementing of privacy laws that Facebook and all the various platforms have or don't have. How legislatively tricky is this space to navigate? You know, it's interesting and it's a really interesting time actually in this space. So in the United States, and I should also say it's a very global issue, right? So the abuse of children online doesn't stay within one geographic jurisdiction. So someone could be in the United States paying for the live stream abuse of a child out of the Philippines. The image of a child being abused in Germany can be shared in five different countries on five different continents in a second. And so when we think about the laws and the regulation legislation, we want some of the biggest parts of the world to implement some of the best legislation in this space so that it can have a cascading effect globally. So that could be the U.S. It could also be the EU. But what we see in the U.S. right now is that the way the laws are written is that if companies detect child sexual abuse on their platforms, they must report it but they are not required to look for it. Now, most companies have actually been good citizens in this space and voluntarily detected child sexual abuse material on their platforms over the years. But we're entering this interesting time right now where a lot of environments are going to encryption because privacy is very important and we acknowledge that. But perpetrators thrive in those private environments. So we take the example of Facebook Messenger or Meta. Facebook historically has been one of the best companies for the detection of child sexual abuse material. And they have reported tens of millions of pieces of content each year that they find. And they report it to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Most of it comes from their Facebook Messenger platform because this material is egregious. People share it privately. But they're about to encrypt Facebook Messenger. And when they do, they will lose sight of all of those images and videos. And many times those are images and videos of children who've already been identified and were working to just remove their content from the internet so they can recover and go on with their normal lives. But many times those images are of children who are being abused right now. And finding that evidence is actually critical to stopping their abuse. This issue has not been solved yet. I'm not sure we have a solve yet for it. But as an organization, we do believe that companies need to strike a balance between both privacy and child safety. And they don't have to be absolutes. We don't have to say we're just going to sacrifice kids' safety and we're going to deal with child sexual abuse material running rampant on our platform because we believe in privacy. I don't think that's a trade-off that you have to make. I think it's a matter of will. 
How many engineers are you going to put on solving that problem where you can keep a fully private environment while detecting known illegal content? And I don't think companies yet have figured out how they're going to allocate the right resources to find that balance. Right. As you just describe all of that, I'm sitting here thinking where we are. But today is a day where we're standing at the precipice of them overturning Roe v. Wade. Mm. And with all that's going on everywhere else in the world and people like you combating these very, very serious issues, this is what our politicians, I just want everyone to take a moment and just think about it for a second. This is what's important to them. That's what's important to them, is stopping women from health care, getting in the way of safe abortions, of contraceptives, and then punishing women who seek out abortions. This is what we're focused on. It's unbelievably infuriating that there are women out here who are dedicating their lives, their educations, who have children themselves addressing this issue. And our politicians in Washington, I don't know what the fuck they're doing. But they're addressing issues that aren't a problem. This is a real problem. And that's what we need to think about. Every time an election comes around, every time a primary comes around, we need to take the opportunity and vote. Because at every turn, the people in power, they're not thinking about what they need to be thinking about. What do they care what women do? This is what they should be caring about. I mean, it's obviously a massive problem because, you know, privacy, we understand that people want privacy. But there is resources that need to be dedicated to this technology, to the monitoring of the technology, to make sure that we can have privacy and get rid of these monsters out there. Especially people live streaming. Like, I can't imagine there's enough people in the world to monitor all of this madness. And that's part of the problem because you need a specific set at every company, right? You just need a whole room dedicated to people looking for this stuff and trying to find it. Yeah, I think that's one of the hardest things about this issue is that the type of abuse we're talking about is egregious. It is illegal to see it. It is illegal to view it. It is in law. It's written as child pornography. We call it child sexual abuse imagery or material because it's not pornography. It's the documentation of the rape or abuse of a child. And the content itself is illegal. And the reason I think that we as a society are not as up in arms about this issue is because we don't see it. It is in private one-to-one messaging or it is in a chat room or in a group of people all of whom are abusers. And so when we don't see it, we can't figure out how to address it. And it's one of the things I'm actually most proud of our team is, you know, this is 100 people who've raised their hands and said, I want to work on this issue and I want to figure out a solution. I'm going to dedicate my life to something that is very difficult to encounter. But to your point about kind of legislation or regulation or calling for transparency from tech companies and making them share what they're doing to protect kids on their platform, it doesn't rise to the top because as voters, we are not aware. And so I thank you for bringing this on your show and talking about it. We're not aware of these issues. We don't see them every day. But I think it's incredibly important because this is where the future is going. I just, over the last few months, I've spent a good amount of time in the metaverse, in these virtual chat rooms, right? Where 
they're even more unregulated and unmonitored than our mainstream social media is today. It is a free-for-all. I mean, I had kids coming up to me saying a lot of bad things. I can't imagine if we flip it the other way of what adults can do if they want to go in and groom a child. And our research already shows that one of the ways that kind of grooming moves to abuse is that adults go into these communities or areas where there are kids, whether it's a metaverse rec room type area, VR chat, or you go into a kid's Instagram feed, TikTok feed, or their live stream feed and you start chatting with them. And once they think that you are their friend, which our research also shows kids today make a lot of their friends online and they only know them online, then the perpetrators will move them to a private communication. And that's where the abuse can start you know, asking for naked pictures, telling them if they don't give them more, something bad will happen. And so it is hard for us as a society to be as up in arms as we should be, to your point, about these issues because they're hidden. They're behind a screen in bits and bytes, but it is no less real to the thousands of children who are affected by this every day. Absolutely. When I heard the conversation, I felt like such an idiot. Like, to your point, I had absolutely no idea. I mean, only one of my children has a phone. And so, you know, you have all the talks and you think you understand. But until I heard that conversation, you on the Sway podcast and Ashton was on it with you, until you really hear you speak about it, someone as literate as you in the subject, you don't really understand the gravity of it. I certainly didn't understand the gravity. It's like, how can you imagine something that you would never imagine? Or how could you know about something that would never enter your mind? So to hear about these things is shocking. And then you, of course, feel really stupid. So we all know what we're supposed to tell our kids. But what don't we tell our kids enough? Let's just reiterate for the sake of reiterating. We tell the kids all the things. But what are the things we need to make sure everyone tells their kids, their little sisters, their little brothers? The good news is that for kids, one of the most effective interventions is for children to have an open dialogue with a parent or a caregiver, an ongoing regular dialogue. So that is free. That is something that we can all do. It might be super uncomfortable. And to your point, we did not grow up with this technology. So we can't say, well, when I was a kid, we did this way. We didn't have it. So actually starting from a place of curiosity. So one of the things that we're trying to advocate for for parents and caregivers is you talked about the talk. You know, we all have the talk with our kids at some point, and we have different talks at different stages about your body. This is your body. It's only yours. Don't let anyone touch you in certain areas. And then you get into kind of the sex talk, the puberty talk. We believe there's a different kind of talk, that the minute you hand a device to a child does not matter what age they are, you start talking about online safety. So you talk about the people that they meet online. They're not really who they are. You also have an open dialogue. Maybe once a week you sit down and you have your child share with you where their online spaces are. Like, show me what you're doing in Roblox. Like, let's play a game together so that you can learn with a sense of curiosity what their online lives are like. Also creating that open dialogue. So one of the biggest risks is that 
if something bad does happen to your child, if someone does convince them to go into a private chat and they feel uncomfortable, or someone asks them to send a naked image, that they feel okay to come to you and tell you and that you will help them and not get mad at them. And by having that conversation start from a very young age and have it be built over time will give you the strongest foundation to have that open, trusting dialogue with your kids. Because if you hand them a phone when they're 13 and say, don't send naked pictures and don't talk to strangers, let's play games together, not going to happen. By the time they're 13, they want their own lives. But if you hand them an iPad when they're eight and you can start that conversation you have a much stronger bond with your kids. I mean, one of the data points we see from our research is that 20% of kids 9 to 12 think it's quote-unquote normal for kids to share nudes with each other. It's not saying they're doing it, but maybe they're older brothers or sisters, kids at school. So there is this kind of normalization of online behavior that kids very, very young know about. So I can't stress enough that these conversations have to start super young, obviously age appropriate. And then that lays that strong foundation as they grow. My 12-year-old has had text messages sent to her phone from, you know, an unknown number and had nude photos of girls sent to her. Like someone tries to start a text chain. Exactly. It's happened twice. They said... Oh, remember me? We met on some, I don't know, you swiped right or whatever it was. And we were supposed to get coffee and, you know, I got busy or something like that. Mm -hmm. And she knows that when she sees something like that to just completely block the number. Yeah. They definitely can get to your phone too. They don't have to be online searching for chat rooms or whatever. People can just send text messages to their phone. And what you just said is, One of the tactics is kind of a phishing tactic where people will send naked images, right? And pretend to be another young girl. Yeah. But they're not, right? I mean, we've had cases where, you know, there's one extorter who is acting like either a young girl or a young boy and extorting 100, 200 kids at the same time. And they send images saying like, well, can't you send me something similar to this? And we have to understand, you know, kids are going through puberty now with a phone in their hand and a camera in their hand. We all go through puberty. Everyone is kind of exploring their sexuality, exploring their bodies. That would happen differently before technology. It now, you know, happens with a camera. And this is why the talk has to be very different. We have to incorporate, like, what does that mean? What are the risks? How do you stay safe? And most importantly, that they know that they can come to you as a parent or a caregiver if they get in trouble, that you are going to help them and not shame them is really the most important. Yeah, the relationship with your kids is crucial to work on for all of the reasons that you stated. I was really so relieved and happy and proud of her when she called me. She called me and said, I just got this text message on my phone. That's amazing. Yeah, but then my first thought is, who do we report this to? Mm -hmm. You know, and then it happened again. And I was like, how do we report this? Who do we tell? What do we do? So the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children is a place where you can report extortion, sextortion, grooming, 
It is difficult to follow up sometimes if the person is using a burner phone. Mm -hmm. So some of the tactics that you just did where you block the number is the right thing to do. Apple has just released a feature. I don't know if you've seen this, that if you are on a family sharing account and you have your parental control settings, that you flip on child safety. And if in the text messaging, it's a child's account, nudity is detected, it will actually blur the image. And if the child's either sending the image or receiving it, will prompt the child to say, do you really want to receive this? Or do you really want to send this? And then at some point, would you like to reach out to your parents for help? And it'll actually create a way for the child to ping their parents and kind of ask for help. Now you have to go in and set that, but that is a pretty big step forward so that kids are not receiving these unsolicited images on a regular basis and helping them kind of filter what comes because to your point, you don't always control what you're getting inbound. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that feature. I'm going to make sure I look for that. I tell my kid, you know, I'm a little rough around the edges and as much as I love her <laughs> and as great as a relationship as we have, the minute I handed over the phone to her, I said to her, just so you're aware, I will look at this anytime I want. Yeah. I will go through it. I will look at everything. There is no such thing as complete privacy in my house. And the alternative is you can wait and buy a phone when you're 18. <laughs> yeah. And she was like, okay. <laughs> you know, she was fine with it. Kids want those boundaries. They want the trust and they want the boundaries, but that's part of them knowing that you care. Absolutely. Yeah. And that you're going to be there. And I think, you know, as they build that trust, like she did with you, raising the flag of like, I need help or something's gone wrong, like that just builds that trust that they know where those boundaries are and they know how to stay safe. I have two questions. How did you really get into this? And what does a day in your life look like? Yeah. So how I got into this. So my background was actually in wireless technology, working at Motorola. If anyone remembers the Motorola Razor, it was very cool back then. Of course. <laughs> so in technology and in business. And then I had an opportunity now a long time ago, 15 years ago, to join Bono and Bobby Shriver when they started something called the Red Campaign. And they worked with Apple and Gap and Converse to create red branded products where a portion of the profits would go to fund AIDS medicine in the developing world. And I worked with them for about five years on building out that concept. It wasn't a nonprofit. It was a licensing mechanism where a company would license a brand and then they would give the profit to the global fund to fight AIDS, TB, and malaria. And what I learned in that time was this incredible power that comes when you combine kind of the skills and the assets of the private sector with a mission-driven organization. So what that organization did really well was leverage the marketing prowess of some of the biggest brands in the world to market one of the biggest global health issues in the world. No other way would you have the marketing dollars of an Apple and Gap talking about AIDS in Africa and helping raise money. And they figured that mechanism out. And so when I joined the founders here 11 years ago, they had already kind of started this idea of how do we take the talent of the private sector in a different way, the technology and the product development, and focus it on another social issue, which was this emerging issue of online child sexual abuse. And so that was very intriguing to me. I knew how to do that. I knew how to build technology. I knew how to build organizations. I knew how to 
combine public and private skills to address a social issue. I did not know about this issue because as I said before, most people don't because you don't see what's happening behind a screen. And so I've spent the last 11 years, really, I still feel like learning what this issue is all about, but it's been amazing. I mean, now I can use my kind of technology and business skills to create a better world for our kids. You asked about you know, what my regular day looks like. I mean, we're now a 100-personal organization. And so I have 99 people I work with who are all way smarter and more talented than me. So I kind of do whatever they say. <laughs> <laughs> but two of my big priorities are, one, putting this issue on the map. Parents need to understand what is going on in the lives of their kids. I need to open up those conversations. And then two, on the regulatory front, yes, we want to push in the U.S., that tech companies need to be more transparent about what they're doing to protect kids on their platforms. And we're working heavily in the European Union, actually, because we think that the European Union will pass some legislation that could be groundbreaking globally. It will require companies to be more proactive in detecting child sexual abuse material on their platform and putting better safeguards in place and For all the big companies, they all want to operate in Europe. And so they may decide to follow these laws globally. And then the U.S. may follow. Right now, I don't see the U.S. leading in some of these areas. That's unfortunate because so many of our lawmakers claim to care so much about children and about the lives of unborn children. They want children to be born so badly. Are we going to care for the children once they're born? That is the question. Because we can bring in children all day long. What are we going to do with them when they get here? These children in the United States, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them, millions of images Mm -hmm. are passed around on a daily basis, sexually abusing children. These images are being used to traffic children for sex. And what are we doing about that? Right. I mean, to your point, I mean, just zooming out for me, this is about family planning and everyone having the right to raise a family how and when they would like. And raising a child is a lifelong commitment that has many factors at play. And what we're talking about today is one of those factors, right? And increasingly is a huge factor in our kids' lives. Like the generation that is our kids' age, they got phones or devices when they're seven, eight, nine years old, but the kids are being born now, they most likely will have technology at a younger age. And this is something that will be a part of their lives for the majority of their lives. And how are we studying the regulatory environment? How are we designing the internet to keep children safe I mean, we could find ourselves waking up, you know, in 10, 20 years, having a child's negative experience online be, you know, a huge public health crisis. What is the effect of not just child sexual abuse, but bullying and the isolation that can occur when a child's relationship with technology isn't managed in the correct way? And so something that I think we as parents, we as voters need to educate ourselves on, have a position on and actively engage on, especially as we're thinking about where the Internet is headed with Web3 and Metaverse and all of this. We have a chance to create the Internet that we want for our kids, but we have to participate actively. Do you believe that statement that we have the chance to create the Internet that we want? Because I think so many people feel like everything is bigger than them and they're powerless and they're just sort of going along with what's happening? I have to. I mean, every single day we see the worst of humanity. 
And I don't think we could continue to do this job if we didn't feel like we could create. And I think to your point, like there are different ways of creating that. That's why we work with three different audiences, law enforcement, tech companies, and parents. At the very least, as individual consumers and participants, we can control how we engage with technology and how our family does. One scale greater, you can choose you know, the tech companies that you will be a part of, that you will use. You can advocate to them. And then on a grander scale, you can stand up and fight for the policies and the regulations that we think will create the internet environment that we need that will protect our kids. Right. We need to make sure that everyone has access to this information. And I'll make sure I put something out on my social and put some links so that people can feel empowered and read up on things if they're not aware of all of these stats. I certainly wasn't and still have a lot of work to do. Yeah, we have a whole section on our site for parents. On the Thorn site? On the Thorn site. So parents.thorn.org. And not only does it have information, but we actually have created that custom for parents. So you can go in and choose like, what age is your child? How comfortable are you having uncomfortable conversations? And we give you kind of conversation starters and questions and prompts that you can use with your kids to open up the dialogue around their online lives and how to kind of share with them how to stay safe. So very customized resources depending on your family and how comfortable you are having those conversations. I also think it's worth mentioning, I say this to my 12-year-old, you know, people who are predators, their playground is where children play. Yeah. People who are predators, unfortunately for you, as scary as this sounds, and obviously I want her to be safe and feel safe, but I also need her to feel powerful. Yeah. That's the balance that I try to strike in understanding that people who perpetrate crimes on children, sex crimes on children specifically, they surround themselves with children. Right. Unfortunately for the kids, they have to be really leery. You have to be leery of camp counselors, of any time you're in a situation like a Roblox or online gaming. These people know that kids are playing these games. 100%. They know there's a whole community full of children playing this game. So unfortunately for the kids, that's a truth. And it's interesting when I think about, you know, what we were faced with growing up or what we didn't know growing up that we now know, right? Mm -hmm. The Catholic Church, you know, was exposed because of the bravery of all those men who were abused and continue to suffer, you know, the lifelong consequences of having been abused by someone they trusted, someone their parents trusted. You know, for all of this sort of woke culture that we have, there's like two things happening. There's like this incredible culture of wokeness. This group of people did this and that should have never happened and obviously it shouldn't have. And thank God people are speaking up. But with all of that that we know that went on, the game is the same. It's just played in a different arena now. Mm -hmm. That's not gone forever. That behavior and those predators are not gone because we ripped their masks off. Right. They're just wearing different masks now. So we just need to look in different places for them. And for us to sit back and not be vocal, not speak up, not bring these issues to light, not talk about them as loudly and as powerfully as we can, we're allowing the same type of behavior to go on just on a different field. And I would say that the predatory behavior has evolved with technology. So we see a couple different kinds of abuse online. A lot of the child sexual abuse material, the images and videos that are found, 
are produced by the type of abuse you kind of just talked about, where a child is abused by a trusted individual. Oftentimes that abuse is a parent, a caregiver, a coach, someone close to the child. It's documented and shared online. But now over the last decade, what we've seen is this other kind of abuse where it may be people who have not hands-on abused a child, but because they're behind the anonymity of a computer screen, they feel this empowerment where they can go out and groom a child, get them to share naked pictures on video. We've had instances where the child, and this is one of the reasons why I say just keep those open lines of communication with your child, because instances where someone is extorting the child and says, you sent me a naked picture. I'm going to share it to everyone on your Instagram account unless you abuse your younger sibling on camera and the child doesn't feel like they can tell their parents. And so that abuse perpetuates and continues in the household. The internet has allowed perpetrators to find other like-minded individuals who reinforce for them that it is okay to do this kind of abuse. We operate also in the dark web, which is kind of the fully anonymous part of the internet. And there are entire chat rooms dedicated to the abuse of children. And because it is this unregulated part of the internet where you don't know where in the world the people are posting from, these sites can exist. And that is just normalizing this type of behavior for people. So what used to happen kind of in these communities where we've tried to unmask it, right, and try to empower our kids, we've added a whole new dimension to it where people have the anonymity of the internet to protect them. And I agree with you. I mean, as much as we want to put all these factors in place to protect our children, one of the other things we talk a lot about at Thorn is how do we build more resilient youth populations? So we have an entire campaign right now on TikTok and a few other platforms called No Filter, and it is speaking directly to kids. And what we are trying to do is just bring some of these things out of the light and reduce the shame. So one of the videos starts with, how old were you when someone first asked you for nudes? And we're just making it normal that a 13 or a 14-year-old has been asked for a nude picture. Because if you can talk about that, then the perpetrator doesn't have power over you anymore. If you're hiding in a corner and saying, oh my God, am I the only person who did this? I can't tell anyone. But if we can bring it out of the shadows and say, hey, this is happening. We all know it. Let's talk about it. Then the power shifts. The perpetrator who's going to try to shame you, who's going to try to make you hide, they can't shame you anymore. And so shifting that power is incredibly important. You know, we want our children to still be children and have that kind of freedom and joy of not knowing all of the bad things that can happen in life. But the reality is, is they are encountering this online already. So how do we arm them with the knowledge they need to be in control in those situations as much as possible? Yeah, I agree with you. Very well said. I sort of struggle with this, too. It's like we want our children to be able to have their innocence, right? And when we were kids, we probably could go ride our bikes out at night and we just had to come in when the street lights came on. And yeah. I could go for walks. I could ride my bike. I never had to worry about anything. And certainly our children live a much different life now. I mean, certainly in big cities, you know, I don't know about rural areas, how safe people feel there. But I will say that, in my opinion, once our kids get to an age where we feel like they're old enough for a device, 
then we kind of have to have the innocence conversation. Yeah. The device is putting them at risk and putting them in harm's way. You can't maintain this innocent childhood and give them a device all at the same time. The two things cannot coexist. I said to my daughter, when you speak up, you feel powerful. And you also identify the other people who might be thinking something similar. Yes. I teach my kids all the time, trust your gut. Yes, trust your gut. And when you want to speak up, and say something, you will empower others because other people will see, oh, she spoke up. She said something. I tell my daughter, it's a practice. It's like yoga. Mm -hmm. It's like stretching. It's like meditation. It's a practice that you have the opportunity to practice every day at different moments. But if you practice speaking up and letting your voice be heard, it gets easier and easier and easier. Yeah. And you help other people learn to do the same. A hundred percent. You know, we may not be able to combat all of this predatory behavior out there, but we can certainly all empower our children, our friends, our nieces, our nephews, our little brothers, our little sisters. We can teach them to empower themselves and to speak up and say, this is not okay. This behavior is weird. You're creepy. Go away. Just try it. Yeah. Just try speaking up. It feels really good. It does. And I think the same goes for parents. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I speak at an event or I do something like this and it never fails. Doesn't matter how small or how big the room is. At least one parent comes up to me and says, when it comes to being approached online, I mean, you said this about your daughter. This has happened to my child. Someone has approached them online. And a lot of times it's gone further, right? That their children have sent naked images, but they don't tell anyone. And if we can just talk about this, like, let's take the shame off the table. Let's understand the world that we're living in. And that if we don't talk about this, children, parents, legislators, all of us, then the perpetrators win. They are banking on the fact that we will all be too embarrassed or too uncomfortable or not know the exact right words to say. And to your point, it's a practice. You have to start the conversation with your other parent friends or with your child in order to bring it out of the light and address it. Absolutely. And that can apply to so many things, to voting, to women's rights, to healthcare rights. 100%. Voting rights, gay rights, all of it. If we speak up loudly people will be less likely to try things because they know they'll be met with a fury. Right. So, Julie, I love meeting you. This was a fantastic conversation. I know you're so busy, and I really appreciate you being here, taking the time for us today. Well, thank you so much, and I appreciate you having this topic on your show. It's not an easy one to talk about, but I think we started to bring it out of the shadows today. So thank you so much. Thanks, Julie. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. 